Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Welcome to Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. I'm Gordon Glenister, and in this edition, I'll be talking to Monica Schultz, who's the global head of customer experience and digital strategy at leading brand Zurich Insurance. But first, I caught up with Rachel Clay. Now, Rachel is the head of social media and influencer marketing at luxury brand design and e-commerce agency Matter of Form. She explained why she tells her clients that their marketing strategy should always evolve around a social first focus. Matter of Form is a digital branding and innovation agency specialised in working with luxury brands across travel and hospitality, luxury lifestyle and fashion and beauty industries predominantly. Uh, The agency started life 10 years ago as a traditional web design and build agency, always with a focus on luxury and always with an in-house design team that designed very, very beautiful uh, websites for all of our clients. But over the years, it has evolved considerably to be the the global business that it is today. Um, we have a team of 80 people that work in our global head offices in Old Street in London. And we are opening a new office in New York next year. Uh, in terms of service offering... Matter of Form has evolved from offering just uh, branding, web design and, and content services to also offering UX, SEO, digital marketing, social media and influencer marketing. And I joined almost two years ago to head up the social media and influencer marketing division. What we are trying to do is educate all of our clients that they now need to consider their business as a social first. So it is no longer enough anymore to be a digital first business. You now need, in terms of future-proofing your your business and your strategy moving forward, to be social first. And in order to do that, influencers play a huge part because they are not really brand ambassadors. They're certainly not pretty girls who invite to parties or or any of the other horrible stereotypes that people have. They are a social SEO strategy. They are how you are going to beat the the Instagram or the other social media algorithms to keep your content high in people's feeds. So in the same way that part of your SEO strategy to beat the Google algorithm would involve working with other websites and having them link back to you, you have to work with other profiles on Instagram in a very strategic and relevant way to ensure that your content is going to stay high in people's feeds. So over the last 12 months, we've been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to work with a diverse range of clients, so all within the luxury space, but across beauty and fragrance, um, an interior brand, a watch brand, uh, and several others. And what we have found is that the, the role that influencers play is increasingly important. So like we say, we think we are quite sort of innovative and forward-thinking when we sort of try to explain that influencer marketing is a social SEO strategy. But what we're seeing increasingly is businesses can't survive without it. Even very traditional businesses. One of our clients is, um, is almost a very old-school, sort of very high-end interior brand who really thought that Instagram was only going to be relevant for targeting the millennial generation. And we're sort of very sceptical at the beginning, gave us a very small budget for a one-off campaign and actually we're launching our second campaign because the first was so successful. Which really I think just shows that if you work with an expert agency who understand your brand and your audience, then anything is possible. Do not be fooled into thinking that social media is only effective in targeting a, a millennial generation. There are over a billion monthly users of Instagram alone. 
there aren't even a billion millennials in the world. Everybody is there. It needs time for people on both sides, so influencers on their side and brands and agencies on the other, to really get more experience and to understand what works and what doesn't and what the expectations are. In a more tangible sense, um, education is the key. So training courses that actually provide accurate information. Um, the influencer space is an industry that almost sort of grew up overnight and means that actually there's a very limited amount of experience that anybody has. I think there was a report out last year that estimated there are only 200 people in the world that had more than five years' experience. And when you think that's, that's the infancy of it and the immaturity of it, it's amazing that it achieves as much as it does. However, what we recommend is that you arm yourself with as much knowledge as possible. There are an increasing amount of sources out there now, newsletters that you can subscribe to, podcasts that you can listen to, events that you can attend. We as a business own a digital training school and we offer a one-day training course every eight weeks in influencer marketing, which is a bit of a crash course of everything that you need to know. But there are many, many other businesses doing the same thing. So just check out who's leading them. Make sure that they have a relevant experience and that they're going to teach you the right things and then for sure you'll, you'll be able to find the information out there. There are a few things that we include in our kind of our, our future trends prediction um, when we run our training courses and two are a little bit broader than just the influencer space but they're key beliefs that we have and, and principles that we try to educate all of our clients around and the first is that Instagram profiles are the new websites so in terms of being the first touch point between uh, a consumer and a brand or somebody who is interested in your brand and your brand up till about even two years ago maybe that person would likely google your brand name your product name and be taken to your website now they're much more likely to use instagram as a search engine and either go straight to your profile page or follow one of the hashtags that mentions you so therefore you need to start thinking in this social first mentality that I mentioned before and ensuring that your Instagram account for sure um, is as resourced and invested in and as branded and, and everything else as your website because that is going to be your, your shop window and your, your first impression that you're going to give anybody interested in your brand. The second is that we believe the future of e-commerce is social commerce. So this is based on two, two sort of observations. Obviously, we've looked at what Instagram are doing, so they're sort of moving in all the right directions. They've introduced shoppable tags and swipe-up links and many other things. But the big thing, obviously, is the trial that they're running in the States with 22 brands to uh, roll out their checkout feature. So as soon as that is in place and is rolled out globally and is accessible to all businesses, that will be really game-changing in terms of how we shop. And within that uh, environment, if you think, okay, people are going to Instagram first, they're now able to shop on Instagram, you then as a business have to think about what the role of your website is. We're not saying you don't need it, but what role does it play? It needs to be redefined. So they are two just sort of more general social media predictions that we make that we think will be realized certainly more concretely next year than they were this year. Linked to that, though, is therefore this third belief we have that influencer marketing is a social SEO strategy. If everybody is living within the Instagram um, algorithm, within that kind of ecosystem, then you really need to consider working with influencers. And not just influencers in a traditional sense, but looking at your, I don't know, maybe your, your key followers, look running user-generated campaigns, understanding that actually... Anybody with a public Instagram account is influential over the people that follow them.
Um, I mentioned before that there were two observations that we'd made that informed our belief that uh, the future of e-commerce is social commerce. And the second that I want to reference is what happened in China. So if you look at WeChat in China, WeChat is the biggest e-commerce platform now for almost all brands in the market because it facilitates a social commerce. It's one-click shopping where your payment is directly linked to your Chinese bank account, but also social commerce in as much as if you purchase anything, if you send a link within the app, which you would do because that was your messaging system, it's your search engine, it's your social media network, it's everything you never leave, you will then receive a discount. So this sort of grassroots social commerce mentality is very much encouraged, and we think that Instagram are following that blueprint as far as they can in the Western world with the restrictions that are here. I think there'll be a lot more professionalism of the industry. Um, so to your point, yes, influencers, I think, will have to start working in a more regulated sense. Um, many, Even many micro-influencers now have agents, and, and that can be a blessing and a curse. Um, but yes, I think there'll be more professionalism on both sides as soon as it becomes a more established practice. But I also think that the definition of of an influencer will become more diverse. And the profiles that are available to work with already are far and wide. You can work with dogs on Instagram, you can work with babies. Kidfluencers are huge. And right at the other end, and again, which is huge in Asia, and we look to Asia for, to inform our trend predictions here, the biggest influencers in Asia are no longer people. They're CGI creations. Yes. And you can kind of understand why, because firstly, despite the, the best support and the best tools and the best expert knowledge in the world, there is no such thing as the perfect influencer. Therefore, why not create your own? And the psychology is really interesting too. The psychology of how we consume social media content is actually ironically that it is predominantly consumed in isolation. So you build up a relationship with this person subconsciously because you see them every day, you carry them around in your pocket, they're in your home, they're in your car, they're with you as you're waiting to cross the road, but you don't know them, you're never actually going to meet them, or very rarely so. Therefore, does it matter if they're real or not? And that kind of psychology allows this gap that these CGI influences are increasingly filling. And I think that will be uh, another diversification that brands start to explore more. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. So some interesting insights there from Rachel. Now, the insurance industry has had its ups and downs with major issues around regulation and compliance. So how does a brand like Zurich Insurance embrace influencers? I asked most influential CMO, LinkedIn top voice, keynote speaker and global head of customer experience and digital strategy, Monica Schultz, to tell me more. I've been trained at Unilever and there it was like uh, you have to develop the brand, you develop a brand positioning uh, and uh, it was always about finding great uh, agency to have an execution which... um, helps you to promote your brand in a very good way and thus sell your products and services. Today, it is much more about digital, digital experience and digital customer journeys. I think you have to be much more thorough today in order to understand what customers want, also find the right uh, technical support in order to get there. Most of the landscape is much more complicated than it was, I don't know, 10 years ago. Let us take 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. You have to be on top of the latest developments uh, and be also on top of what customers want much more than you had to um, 20 years ago. And you think people's um, attention span is becoming less and less to try and 
capture their attention is much harder now for brands, isn't it? Yes, of course. I mean, in, in 20 years ago, when I developed something for a brand, uh, the, the biggest trick was to understand, develop a customer insight that was strong, uh, and then and then develop communication against it. Today, you basically have to understand every second what the customer is doing and then act accordingly. Uh, because, of course, uh, people today act with their brand uh, online and digitally, which they couldn't do 20 years ago. And, and don't you think, because there's a lot more technology advances, there's almost too much data that's out there and you need, you know, marketeers need support to be able to analyse that. I'm always using this word infobesity. So not obesity, you don't eat too much, you have too much data. I think that describes it very well because if you eat too much food, I mean, you're not doing well. If you have too much information or too much data, let me put it like that, mm. It's not good either, uh, because the big trick is to get from data to insights to action. The challenge today is that you have the right data so that you get the right insights and are able to define actions against the insights. Because some people are completely obsessed with capturing data, but they already have a hard time getting to insights. And if you then have the insights and everybody's very happy, it's like, yeah, and now? How do we change it so that the business is uh, benefiting from mm. the insights? Mm, mm. Uh, and that is extremely, extremely complicated. Most people are not trained in it. You know? So um, just to further my point then, do, do you in your organization find that these individuals are helping marketeers through that journey? If you take an analogy to the former market researcher, the most of the market researchers define their job as I talk to an agency, they do the market research for me, then I get the stuff back, then I talk to my marketeers, then they do something with it. Yeah? And I, I've met few market researchers who were able to get from data to insight to action together with me yeah? so that they, that they worked as a sparring partner. If you now translate that to a data scientist, I mean, I expect from a data scientist that he doesn't only crunch data, but helps me to say, what do I do with this data? Quite, yeah. It is not about just crunching. It is about crunching with something that helps me to get into action to improve my business results. And that is not easy because crunching data is easy. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a bit provocative here, but that, I mean, is the easiest bit. Yeah? But to get from data to what do I do now, that's the tricky part. And today you have to have people who are able to help you to get from A to B and not just throw the data at you. Yeah? So um, obviously, because we're very much involved in the influencer space, um, it's a rapidly growing channel, as I'm sure you know. Uh, and in- increasingly, it used to be you know, the premise of the, the B to C space, but more and more brands are looking at uh, influencers in the B2B sector. So I just really wondered what your thoughts were um, from a Zurich perspective about um, using influencers successfully. I mean, we have been doing it now for the last, I don't know, 20 years, to be very honest. Uh, but it's now getting easier, of course, because you can do it digitally as well. But our commercial business uh, is, uh, I mean, a huge part of our uh, results. And if you look at how we have been working, I mean, we have a global risk report, which we publish every year. Uh, We have a global risk summit, uh, which we have every year. Uh, We have a so-called risk room uh, in in the digital space. Uh, So there are a lot of things which we're using already. And we we have a huge network together also with WEF, by the way, World Economic Forum, where we're using our 
influencer skills, so to speak, and have some key people in the company as well who are our spokespeople. So you have internal um, influence as opposed to outreach specialists? We have both. We have internal but also external. Because we're working closely together with WEF as one example. And what we're doing in the B2B space is that we're defining topics that are highly relevant to people uh, and where we uh, know that uh, they're interesting not only for us, but for others. And one of them is, of course, right now, cybersecurity, data protection. We're always starting with the topics where we have the insights that people are interested in them, and then we find some key people who are doing it. So we're not doing it the other way around, saying we're building up one person who then has to uh, be the spokesperson. We are saying, uh, except for the CEO, of course, yeah? I mean, that's clear. Mm. But we are saying, let us define the topics, and then alongside, that are based on insights, yeah? and then alongside the topic, we are having different spokespeople of the company, but sometimes also from outside, we use in order to talk about the topics. Do you work with these individuals to sort of co-create I mean, if you look at the Global Risk Report, it's yeah. co-created with WEF, for example, yeah? with the World Economic Forum. So we don't do it alone. We co-create it together with them. And then we have a whole team working around uh, thought leadership topics, and they're always using partnerships in order to develop content further, like Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, and, and other channels as well. So it's always a co-creation so that we are... Um, so right. to keep not alone, but doing it together with other people. And because I guess those people have been involved in that, they're more likely to want to share it and uh, talk about it in their own uh, to their own communities, which is furthering the Zurich cause, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And if I just look at my own experience, I mean, the minute I I do things with other people, co-create, it's clear that my shares uh, and views are much higher. And 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 what are you? What what other trends are you noticing? Um, and let's just talk about LinkedIn because clearly that's an important platform for you. What, what, what do you think? What are you finding from LinkedIn that works particularly well? As a marketeer, I started LinkedIn. I think it was I don't know, six years ago or something. In order to understand what is working well, what doesn't work well. Uh, and in the beginning, I had the feeling that if you um, write something on your own that works really well and people share it, have, your, have their own ideas. Uh, today, it's more about <laughs> expert advice as well. Mm-hmm. So the minute we are tapping into uh, working together with, uh, I don't know, Sitecore or Medaglia or I mean the NPS provider, uh, then you get a huge traction and you can exchange ideas with people. It's like being in, at a conference, but solely digitally mm. or online eh? mm. working digitally online so that people can share their ideas and their thoughts and what, what works extremely well is this combination of offline and online so if you're at a conference then you talk about uh, something uh, digitally as well that is something where people react to very positively because you, then you have a basis and then you can exchange uh, and you know the people physically as well which is nice and what about video? How much do you use video in your content? Uh, the company uses video quite a lot. I'm not using video that much, to be honest. I mean, I'm using it as my marketing tool. Yeah? If you ask me about my personal profile on LinkedIn, I don't use it that much because I 
love photos and images, but that, that's my personal thing. Yeah, It's just my uh, personal liking. Uh, if I see what works well, of course it's video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only reason I say that is people share more video content than 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 anything else um yeah. and it's increasing all of the time um particularly you know if somebody's at a conference uh being able to show a little snippet of something in advance it can be quite powerful if i'm if i'm at conferences i'm using video as my main uh, means to convey a message as well if you look at my LinkedIn, I'm not very good with video messages because I'm personally using it quite a lot in airplanes when I wait for the train or whatever I have. And I, I never put it on, um, I always put it on silence, not to disturb other people. <laughs> Images work better for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's very personal. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. So that's it for this edition of Influence. I hope you've enjoyed it. And as ever, we would welcome your feedback. Don't forget to keep an eye on the BCMA website for all the latest influencer marketing news. But for now, until next time, from me, Gordon Glenister, thanks for listening and goodbye. 